certainly glad to be back on campus. I trust that you are as well. Uh, excited that, the, that we have the freedom to meet and to be here to worship together as a church body. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we're especially thankful that, that you are here to worship with us today. Uh, we, we know that uh, one of our uh, tendencies and, and, and um, I think one of the defining things for us is normally we're a hugging church uh, and COVID has interrupted that, unfortunately, and, but I hope you're still finding us to be a, a warm and friendly body. I am uh, my, myself struggling with uh, a little bit of that because um, right now I'm, I'm preparing to travel several times through February. And as we're sitting in worship, I was, I was thinking about, do I share that? Do I not? Um, and I'm, I'm going to, I tend to be transparent anyhow. So I'm going to do it in this way. And I hope this doesn't bring stigma to you. If you're, not, if you're uncomfortable, just keep your hands down. But how many of you have had COVID at some point in the last nine months, year now? Okay. I'm, I'm, yes. So, so I like that answer, Danny. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, my wife had it starting on January 1st. And we, she quarantined, I separated. Fortunately, I didn't get it. Uh, but with the travels that I have coming up, um, this week we're heading to Washington State to see our son Christian, uh, who's been out there for, gosh, how long has he been out there? Since August. So it seems longer than that. And then um, in the middle of February, like the 22nd, I'm going to be going to uh, Kansas City for a seminar. I'm doing PhD work. And so I'm trying to like juggle the balance, right, of... How friendly can I be? How close can I be with, at the same time, recognizing, you know, I need to be wise? So you'll probably see me standing a little distance. I, I don't like the masks um, for a number of reasons. One is because I tend to read people's lips when I listen to them. And so I, like Danny and I were talking about that this week in men's ministry. He's like, dude, I can't understand you. I'm like, I get it. I'm getting older. My hearing's going bad because I listen to too much loud music. And so reading lips is a beneficial thing to me. So masks prohibit that, um, and I get frustrated. So I'm just being transparent. If I, if I stand off a little bit, just know, you know, you can just blame it on my body odor or something like that, okay? And know that I'm really not trying to, to be rude or ugly. Um, it's just I need to be wise. Yeah, you already smell it, Rob, right? Yeah, from here, great. <laughs> um, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. Um, so, uh, we're, so anyhow, that's good. Okay, so y'all know what's going on with me if I'm a little bit seemingly distant. Um, so I want us to turn actually to 1 Samuel this morning. I think that's the right passage, and, and I'm going to make sure it's correct as we do this. Um, yeah, if, I'm sorry, 1 Kings. 1 Kings. And... Chapter 10, I think is where it is. Yes. And, and I want to bridge the, the song that we were just singing about, Be Thou My uh, Vision, that, that our hearts and our minds and everything about us. Katie, are you still back there? Could you get the lyrics to that up? Um, I just want to reference these really quickly. Um, yeah, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. 
Now, I want to go to the next one. Um, I think this is right. Riches I heed not, or man's empty praise, thou in my inheritance, thou now and always. Thou and thou only uh, are first in my heart. Now, listen to this. High king of treasure, uh, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. And leave it right there for a second, Katie, if you don't mind. As we sang that line, I couldn't help but think about the text that we're going to be in this morning, uh, a, a context, the, the historical context of what we're going to actually be reading in the text of Matthew, and then this idea about, uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about some, uh, or teaching on the, the parables, especially the parable of the treasure. And when I started like reconciling all these things in my mind this, this morning really quickly, I started thinking about this idea, is, is Jesus really the treasure of my heart? Is he the one that I value above everything else, so much so that my life has been transformed? And, not, and, and, and hear me out, not just in the moment of salvation, but day by day, because I treasure him more and more because I'm growing in grace and knowledge of his presence, his authority, his power, his rule, and and all the benefits and blessings that come as I'm being sanctified by Christ. And let me me direct us to 1 Kings chapter 10 now. Um, And and I want to read this really quickly and just make a couple of notes about it. This is about the Queen of Sheba coming to, to meet with Solomon because she's heard of his wisdom. Okay, and I want us to, to really reflect on how she responds to him because this is, this is something that in the text this morning, Jesus is going to refer to. So, verse 1 of chapter 10 of 1 Kings. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels and, and retinue. That's like a big entourage of people. So, kids, that may not be a word that you're familiar with. But that means like she had a big party of people that would have traveled with her. How many of y'all have seen um, Aladdin, the movie Aladdin, where he comes in on, on the elephant and all that kind of stuff? That would be like a retinue of people. So all these people, attendants and all the like, okay? So she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. So she'd been thinking about a lot of things. She, she was a very wise woman, very probably philosophical as a queen. She was probably very educated, but she had a lot of unanswered questions. And she'd heard that Solomon was ultimately the wisest person she could go to to get these things answered. So that's what she's asking. And so uh, Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. Verse 4, and when the queen of, queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. She was just like, this is amazing. I'm I'm just shocked at how wealthy and how wise and how he's been blessed. Solomon's been blessed by all of these things. And and it just shocked her into a state of awe. Verse 6. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told to me. 
Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almond wood and precious stones. And the king made of the almond wood sports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No, no such almond wood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. And we'll stop right there. Now take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 12. So, so I want to give you like a comment on this, this perspective of, of the Queen of Sheba for just a, minute, a moment as you're turning to Matthew 12. Do you realize that when she'd heard the testimonies about Solomon, she said, I got to see this for myself. And then she went and what did she discover? Abundantly more than what she could have ever expected. And so much so that she presented Solomon with a, a, a offerings basically. And with gifts, as if in to say thanks for sharing the abundance of what you know, because it has blessed me. And here is a, a, a woman who is, is a Gentile, doesn't have any idea or clue necessarily about the things of the true and living God. Yet through Solomon's testimony to her, and through the answering of her questions, um, Solomon presented her with an understanding that the Lord, the true and living God, was Lord, and he's the one who has blessed him and blessed the servants. And she, in a sense, was worshiping the Lord. It, it's, it's a very familiar scene to many, like uh, I think quickly about Daniel, uh, who when he testified to the, the goodness of God, the kings, the secular kings that were foreign kings still recognized that God was the true and living God. And, and folks, when Jesus, what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 12 is Jesus refers to these very events. And he's saying, if the people saw these things, like the Queen of Sheba saw this, and she recognized the wisdom that Solomon had, how much more ought we to recognize who Christ is? That he is, has come in wisdom, and that, that people like Solomon only pointed to Christ. And, and that, the, that they were types of Jesus. That means that they were a figure that was to answer or be answered by Jesus himself as a better uh, point uh, of thought, as a, uh, as a better person, as a better prophet than, than what could have happened in, in any of the things in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is, is confronting the Pharisees, as we're going to see in the text in a minute, with this truth, consider me above all else. Because if Solomon was this way, how much better am I? So, so again, let me tie this back into the, the song for just a, a moment. When we think about Jesus being our better thought, being the treasure, being the high king of heaven by, by, that, that we are to worship, that, that we ought to have as our vision, do you see why that resonated with me this morning? Because there's no one 
Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. And if we can just grab a hold of the least little bit of truth about him, it will still be enough. It will be abundantly more than satisfying, provisional for us than any other thought that we can rest our minds on. So let's turn to Matthew 12 and let's see how this all plays out in Jesus' day with the Pharisees. So we're going to begin uh, picking up in our study on Matthew here in verse 38. So we, we've been watching as the Pharisees have continued to attack Jesus. They have these desires to, to destroy him and see him, his life come to an end. They've been thwarted because of Jesus' uh, continued wisdom and response to them because of the miracles that, that have happened, because he's even taken, uh, in a sense, a retreat where he's gone away from the synagogue and he's gone to, to minister to the communities. But here again, the, the Pharisees engage with him. So we're picking up here in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south. This is referring to 1 Kings and the Queen of Sheba. Um, the Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So I, I want to begin with a, a thought. And that thought is this about the Pharisees. What, what we see the Pharisees do again and again is, is they're trying to trick Jesus or trip him up, give him some kind of test that he can't pass so that they can condemn him and have a reason to, to destroy him. And so here again is one of those instances. And, and what they're asking for is a sign. Now, what's the irony of that, that, they, that they're here asking him for a sign? What's the irony? Y'all talk back to me this morning. He's already done a bunch of signs. What are the signs he's been doing? Say it really loud. The air's running. He's healed people. He's raised dead. Raised people from the dead. He's healing the sick. He's healed a man with a withered hand. He's been teaching them. What, Danny? I can't hear you over that. Yeah, he's cast out demons. That's one of the recent ones. Okay? And so here they are asking for a sign. What? It, it doesn't make sense, does it? it, it it's like we, we've not been satisfied with what you've done. We're the authority that you are required to meet the expectations of. And, and I'll be honest, guys, as I was studying that, the, the Lord kind of threw up the self-reflective mirror of Scripture to me and said, hey, be careful, buddy. <laughs> Because you can be just like them. I can look at Scripture. I, I can read all the truth of God's specific revelation and still feel like, what? That's not enough. I need more evidence. I can be 
just like Gideon and go, but, but I want a sign. I want a different sign. I, I've been praying about this, Lord. I want you to do something spectacular. <laughs> I was like, whoa, let me not be too quick to be judgmental and critical of them because I am just like them. And it's a caution, I think, for every one of us to carefully consider how are we rightly submitting ourselves to Jesus, His authority, His person, His lordship, His power, His goodness, His grace, and His mercy on His terms, not ours. You see what I mean? Because, again, I can be so guilty of that. And that's what, what Jesus is ultimately saying here. He's saying, look, all these things have been done for you, and one greater than the prophet Jonah that, that you know is historically accurate. By the way, this is one of those points where people say, well, Jonah's just a, a story. It's, it's kind of a fairy tale. Jesus doesn't treat it that way, okay? Remember that. Jesus here teach, teaches that it is a historical fact by which the people of Nineveh in, encountered the prophet Jonah and the people of Israel were judged by it. And you say, what? The people of Israel judged by it? Yeah, let me explain that for just a minute. Because part of this, remember, when Jonah went and prophesied, who did he prophesy to? Help me. The Ninevites. Who were the Ninevites? Sinful people from what kingdom? Does anybody remember? I'm, I'm Bible quiz, right? Old Testament Bible quiz. Assyria, who said that? Jeff Randolph. Good scholar, my friend. Yeah, they were the Assyrians who were uh, people that came out of the line of Nimrod earlier in Genesis. They were an ungodly people. They, they were a people that worshipped uh, a warrior god and a warrior goddess. They, they ultimately were constantly in league in one sense with the Babylonians, but also constantly in conflict with the Babylonians. They, they, at one point, uh, Nineveh itself was the capital city of Assyria. And these people were ungodly people. Now, I know not everybody's VeggieTale fans, but what do you remember about VeggieTales and what is it? Uh, it is Jonah, right, um, in VeggieTales. What, what kind of people were they? Kids, have you all watched that? I love veg, VeggieTales, by the way. They, were, they slapped each other with fishes, right? Yeah, you remember that now? Yeah. That was like one of my favorite things. But, but it, it, I think they got that in that, the cartoon because of the nature of these people to be warriors, that they were fighting all the time that, because that's, that's the God that they worshiped. And, and so here Jonah goes, is sent by the Lord, and he, he runs. We know the, the account most likely. And, and if you remember, what does Jonah preach to them? It's, it's, a, it's the shortest message. Here's what he says. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We only read it one time when he goes into the city of Nineveh. And so I don't know if he preached it again and again and again. I don't know if his message was actually a lot more you know, profoundly developed than that. But all that Scripture records is he said this, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And what did the people of Nineveh do? And it began with the king. The, the leader of the city, they repented. He, he called for them to fast 
and, and wear sackcloth and ashes. And, and it wasn't even just a fast of the people. They even put a fast upon their livestock and animals. It, it's, it's this simple message, but they repented. Now, now here's what's interesting. In 2 Kings chapter 14, there's a reference to Jonah. And that reference to Jonah is in context of Jeroboam II, who's one of the kings of Israel. Does anybody remember anything about Jeroboam II? If, if you don't, it's no big deal. I, I mean, I didn't right away. I went back and researched it. Here's, here's what is important to remember about the context of Jeroboam II and basically all the kings of the northern tribe of Israel that would have been in the, the contextual historical time of Jonah. Every one of them was evil. Every one of them was evil. And then they, the follow-up statement in, in Scripture usually says he was evil. And then what happened? He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and so I want you to think about this contrast that Jesus is drawing here. He does not accommodate the, the Pharisees as they ask for a sign. Instead, he, he confronts them with the truth of their historical context and their hardness of heart that they are still um, living with in regards to God and especially Jesus, this prophet who is greater even than the prophet Jonah. Because if the people of Nineveh, these Gentiles, repented, but in Jeroboam's day and the kings around him and after him and all of the Israelites were doing evil, they weren't repenting. And so Jesus is, is confronting the, the Pharisees with the hardness of heart that, that the Israelites have continued to have towards the Lord because they weren't repenting. And again, what does the Lord do to me? He throws up that mirror of Scripture and He, he asks me through the Spirit and dwells me to say, how are you? Do you respond quickly to who Jesus is in the word of truth? Or is your tendency to be pharisaical, to, to harden your heart to these things? And yes, I know the Lord, but my, I can still harden my heart and walk in rebellion. And I can still disregard the value of who Christ is as my treasure. I can still resist the work of the Spirit by hardening my thoughts and my life to the Lord, and instead of being sensitive to Him, I can be rebellious, and I can be uh, easily distracted and hardly satisfied with the things of God, just like them. And we need to be careful that we're not overly critical, but we also rightly respond to the message and the hope of who Jesus is. And so what I think is this, this important point is that, that the Pharisees begin to understand that Jesus was confronting them. And the confrontation was, was a specifically not just pointing to the fact of their hardness with Jonah, but he, Jesus is responding in such a way to say, there's, there's a greater truth here that you're missing because you've been hardened to, to the truth of Scripture and the words that God has shared with you historically. And here's what you're missing. And I'm going to point this out to you very carefully, the, the voice of Jesus this is it, that Jonah was in the fish three days. So will the Son of Man be in the grave three days. But victory comes through Jesus Christ 
and the resurrection. Through my resurrection, life will be found. Look at what he says in verse 39. But he answered him, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he goes on to talk about how the, the message of the Ninevites, uh, how they res- responded, is going to be a point of judgment on the people of Israel. See, I, I think that and I've already expounded on the next part with the Queen of Sheba from the south, and I think you see the value of the treasure. So I want to summarize this message today in this way, and then we're going to have the kids come down. So Maya, just be ready for this morning, and I'll explain that in just a second for all the kids in here. Here's my thought. If we hear this message today, and we are not convicted about our own tendency to harden our heart, because of sin, we miss the point and we endanger ourselves. Because I, I came across this thought, and I thought this was very worthwhile. If it, the, the response that we have to the message of Christ is this. It's not just about, first of all, whether we believe or not, Okay? Because the Pharisees were in that. I think they knew the promises and the hope of a Messiah. So it's not about whether they believe or not, but it's about whether they believe and follow. You hear the difference in the two? A lot of people will dismiss their struggles of believing or not. I think that we even see that with the Queen of Sheba. that, That there's some level where she believed and had some level of following. I'm not sure she totally did. I, I can't answer that. Scripture's not clear enough. But Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. Are you going to believe and follow? That's the real issue. And, and for some of us, when we're confronted with sin, we, we want to excuse that. We, we don't want to believe and follow the plan of Christ that we would, like the Ninevites, repent, like John the Baptist preached, repent, that like Jesus himself said, that we would repent of sin. The key is that when we hear Christ uh, and the message of the gospel, we repent of our sin, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, so that we would be saved. And I would venture to say that there's somebody under the sound of my voice that has never done that, that they're, they're still in that tension of do I believe it or not, instead of believing and following. Can I encourage you, please, let today be the day of salvation. Repent and follow Christ, especially if you've not done that and the Holy Spirit is wooing you. See, that's, that's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. He takes the Scripture and He convinces us of the truth of it, and He woos us by the grace of God to salvation. So there's, some, there's likely someone under the hearing or the sound of my voice, and I want to just encourage you with this. Either find us after church today if you're on campus, after the time of service, or if you're online, go online to thegrow431.com. Up in the top right corner, there's a prayer link. And you can just click that link and let us know that you need more counsel. We will get in contact with you and give you counsel about salvation. 
Now, for us as believers, we, we may have already done that. We're, we've already committed to following Christ. You, you may have even been obedient in baptism, and you're participating in a life as a, with the church. That's all great. But here's the problem. Oftentimes, what do we do? We still act pharisaical, don't we? We still put expectations on Christ, and we try to assert our lordship over His. We, we refuse to follow His leadership, and we become rebellious. Folks, I want to encourage you. Let us not harden our hearts. Let us not drift, as the writer of Hebrews says. Let us instead continue to walk by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, being transformed into the likeness of Christ, being made more and more fully into His image. We, we uh, were looking at a verse yesterday morning that, um, I think it was Rob finally found it. I had it in mind, and I want to read this to you. It's in Colossians 1, um, 27 through 28. It says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, as believers, Christ through the Holy Spirit indwells us. We abide in Him and He abides in us. We can get into a whole lot of theological uh, ideas and concepts that we don't have time to unpack today. But the bottom line is this, we have a relationship with Christ and we are sealed until the day of redemption. So we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then listen to this. This is so important. Verse 28, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Are you growing in maturity? See, I think when we put these standards on Christ and we impose our own perceptions and and, uh, looking for the signs of things, that's actually immaturity because Christ is Savior and Lord. And and our responsibility, now, now I like that word because the root of that is response. How we ought to respond to His Lordship as Savior is that we are responsible to work out our salvation with fear and trembling towards maturity. And too many times we approach things from our own perspective, demanding signs and, and certain things to be done for us when the, the, the opposite needs to happen, that we would surrender to Christ and we would approach Him knowing that He is sovereign, He has plans, and we are to surrender to those things so that we mature in Christ. Let us not approach things like the Pharisees demanding a sign. Let us instead rightly surrender to Jesus Christ. So let's, let's bow together and pray, and then I'm going to give you a couple of instructions this morning until we proceed a little further. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of truth that shares and makes clear the grace, the love, the necessity of responding rightly to Christ. I thank you that your spirit takes the word of truth, even through the, the, the maybe messy thoughts of a pastor as he's trying to make sense of things. Lord, your spirit supersedes all of those things. And you take the word and you speak to our hearts. You speak to our minds. You transform our souls as you woo us to Christ. 
So, Lord, whether that's for someone here today or under the sound of this uh, audio that might need Christ as their Savior, or whether that's for us as believers that maybe we've been walking in tension and rebellion and, and, and not aligned with you rightly, and we need to repent of those things and not be like the Pharisees who have hardened their hearts. Instead, we repent and we submit and surrender ourselves rightly to you, engaging with your purposes for our maturity. Lord, whatever it is we need to do, I pray that we would just make sure that we would respond to your leading. So Lord, before we go any further, I, I want us to do this. I want us just to continue with our heads bowed for just 30 seconds. And I pray that we would listen to you and the power of your spirit and we would respond to what you have to say to each one of us directly. And, and as we respond, Lord, we would do that in obedience, in worship, and surrender to you as Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are at work in us, that you accomplish your plans and purposes because you are sovereign, and part of that perfect plan was to bring Jesus in the fullness of time, and not to bring him, but to send him. And we're going to look at that in just a minute as we prepare uh, to take communion. And Lord, in the meantime, uh, we're going to have our children come down. I pray that as Maya teaches and uh, others who have prepared this morning, uh, work with and lead and, and minister to our children, that you would use this time in their lives to encourage and strengthen them. We bless you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.